I'll say it's a great joy to be in this beautiful church today, and I've known of this church a long time in the ministry of Craig and his family. I give thanks for that, and it's just a joy to see you and to share with you. Now, let me ask you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 9, Psalm 9. I'm going to read the psalm and then preach on it a while. To the chief musician upon Muth Labin, musical notation, a psalm of David. I will praise thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will show forth all thy marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in thee. I will sing praise to thy name, O thou most high. When mine enemies are turned back, they shall fall and perish at thy presence. For thou hast maintained my right and my cause. Thou sattest in the throne judging right. Thou hast rebuked the heathen. Thou hast destroyed the wicked. Thou hast put out their name forever and ever. O thou enemy, destructions are come to a perpetual end, and thou hast destroyed cities. Their memorial is perished with them. But the Lord shall endure forever. He hath prepared his throne for judgment. He shall judge the world in righteousness. He shall minister judgment to the people in uprightness. The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. And they that know thy name will put their trust in thee, for thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. Sing praises to the Lord which dwelleth in Zion. Declare among the people his doings. When he maketh inquisition for blood, he remembereth them. He forgetteth not the cry of the humble. Have mercy upon me, O Lord. Consider my trouble, which I suffer of them that hate me. Thou that liftest me up from the gates of death, that I may show forth all thy praise in the gates of the daughter of Zion. I will rejoice in thy salvation. The heathen are sunk down in the pit that they made. In the net which they hid is their own foot taken. The Lord is known by the judgment which he executeth. <clears throat> the wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. Higayon Selah, the musical notations. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten. <clears throat> the expectation of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Let the heathen be judged in thy sight. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. <clears throat> Selah. I think one of the great joys of the Christian life is to engage in praising God. 
in Hebrew, this book of Psalms, it's the largest book in the Bible, as you probably know. It's called Sofer Tehillot, that is, the book of praises. So the biggest book in the Bible is, to a large degree, though not totally, given over to praising the Lord. And then Jesus, when his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, gave the Lord's Prayer. And the first petition in it is, hallowed be thy name. Let your name be praised. Let your name be prized. Let your name be lifted up as it well deserves. So, biggest book in the Bible, praise. First petition in the Lord's Prayer, praise. And so, that is a major part of the normal and the happy Christian life is to be praising the Lord. And Psalm 9 gives us some wonderful instructions in how to do it. I know you come into church this morning, you have a lot of things on your mind, and some of you may wonder if you cut the oven on for the beef roast or all kind of things. You can accommodate everybody at the table and so forth, or things you have to face on Monday. So praising the Lord might be rather far from your, uh, from your mental universe just now. And yet God calls us specifically as his people to be praising him. Uh, the great theologian John Calvin of Geneva I guess his most famous book was Institutes of the Christian Religion. And in that rather remarkable book, in book 3, chapter 20, he says, yes, we're called on to praise God, but sometimes we don't feel like it. I couldn't know how you feel today. Some of you probably are already leaping with praise on the inside. Others, it may be far from you. Calvin says, if you come and it's time to praise the Lord and you find it hard to do, first of all, confess that it's hard to praise him. Confess it is a sin. We're so caught up in self and other things that surround us and maybe distract our attention and disturb us. Confess that and then ask for the Holy Spirit to be granted you in fresh measure to anoint you to praise the Lord in some measure as he deserves. Now, the several instructions here in this ninth psalm about how to praise the Lord, I'm just going to hit a few high spots, that's all. But I want you to notice in the first verse, <clears throat> David is saying, I will praise Thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. Now that's wholehearted praise. Let's say you saw somebody on Broad Street or out here on Wentworth today or tomorrow and you thought they'd be glad to see you and you're going to catch up a little bit on what's happening in your lives 
and they're not looking in your face. They're texting the whole time, <clears throat> and you're trying to tell them something, text, text, text. Well, you don't have to be particularly brilliant to understand. You don't have their whole heart. You almost wonder, what's it worth it? Well, now, God wants us to give him our full attention. Another way to say whole heart, we don't use that expression too much in modern English, but our full attention, give it to the Lord. You might say, well, God is so great, God is so majestic, he's so sovereign. What do you really care? Well, we don't understand who God is till we know how very much he loves for us to praise him, as it were, to look him in the face, in the face of Jesus and the Word, and to seek the Holy Spirit to activate our mind to focus on this glorious God, God is actually pleased. Don't ever relieve yourself from the seriousness of the call to praise God by saying, he's too great. Yes, he's greater than anything you and I can ever imagine. He's sovereign, he's all-powerful, majestic, glorious surpassing splendor of course he has all those things and more but he has a heart set upon the lowly though God is high he looks low and he is very very concerned and indeed very pleased when the least of his children, even a child, I sometime, back when I was small, it was safe to, your parents could let you first walk to school, and then, you know, by the, I don't know what, the third grade, ride your bicycle to school, and I can remember sometimes in my own childish way, as seven or eight years old, praising the Lord between my house and the school. I don't doubt God was pleased. God is actually interested in your response to him. And believe it or not, this is not in any sense disrespectful. Don't you think that? You have a certain ability to bring pleasure to the heart of your heavenly father as you thank him as you praise him. But to do that, you've got to focus your attention on him. There was a rather remarkable man, a wonderful man known as Brother Lawrence, who lived not too far from Paris in the uh, middle 1600s. And he was uh, basically a cook in a large monastery kitchen somewhat north of, of Paris. And Brother Lawrence wrote a book that some of you will have read. I recommend it to you. The Practice of the Presence of God. And also he wrote some letters that are appended to that 
now classical devotional book. But the thing about Brother Lawrence, he's just, you know, a, a humble job in the monastery. He wasn't the father abbot. He wasn't the chaplain, the preacher. He's just a cook and a cleaner in the kitchen. And, you know, the, the, the monastery took in a lot of guests, kind of like a, an inn or an early form of a hotel. And he'd be in and out and people would spill milk and he'd have to get on his knees and wipe up the floor and the clinging and the clanging of the pots and so forth. But this man, Brother Lawrence, learned to focus his attention on God. He learned to say just little snippets of devotion to the Lord. Lord, I love you. I thank you Jesus died for my sins. I'm yours. Then uh, I put some more wood on the fire roll out a head of cheese or huge thing of wine to serve the people. Lord, I'm yours. Remember that my heart is upon you. And because he learned to focus on God and to praise the Lord just in his own simple, humble way, he became a power for good across all of Europe. People could come to see him and know that the presence of the Lord would burst forth from this humble monk. And indeed, some of the leaders in the state, the French state, and in the church at that time would come to this humble man for advice because they knew he was in touch with God. It all started and it continued with wholehearted praise, focusing his attention upon God. So our praise needs to be focused on the Lord. Put him first. And then this psalm, I'm not going to go into a lot of details, but you could summarize from about uh, verse 3 to verse 18 praise for three specific periods of our lives. Praise for God's help in the past, as in verse 5, thou hast rebuked the heathen, thou hast destroyed the wicked. God's help in the past, God's help in the present. You know, verse 9, the Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. And then praise for God's help in the future. Verse 18, for the needy shall not always be forgotten. The expectation of the poor shall not perish forever. And I could fill out all of those Praise God for what he's done in the past. Praise God for what he's doing in the present. Praise God for what he's going to do for you and his people and all his people in the future. Just one or two little remarks on each one ere I come to the end. Praise God for his help in the past. We're here because most of us were saved. Somewhere along the way, 
the Holy Spirit touched us so that by faith we came under the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ. To believe in Christ is to be a new creation. Old things are passed away, all things are become new. To believe in the Lord is to be born again, to be born from above, which means the Lord himself has implanted inside of you eternal life that nothing can ever take away from you. You're here today because of God's opening you up somewhere in the past, removing the scales from your eyes that you saw who Jesus was and best you could you accepted him you believed and you passed from one world to another I remember having a professor in Edinburgh many years ago one of the great preachers of his generation previous generation Dr. James S. Stewart remember his saying in class one day talking about when we die He said, the day of your conversion is far more significant than the day of your death. On the day of your conversion, you pass from one world to another world, from death to life, from hell bound to heaven bound. It's from one world to another. On the day of your death, you merely go through a door in the same house to another room, one full of light and joy and a fuller presence of your heavenly Father. Now, all of us that are Christian believers, we know that we're far from perfect. We're confessing sins this morning and we'll do so tonight. But we do know that God has saved us through his Son and he's brought us through many, many trials in life and thus we're here. You wouldn't be here if God hadn't answered many a prayer for you to make it physically, to get through various challenges. You wouldn't be here if God hadn't said yes to so many of your prayers. Give him thanks for how he's turned back the wicked in your life. Give him thanks for how he has made you want to overcome evil in yourself. Thank him for it. Praise him for it. And then what he is doing presently, really and truly, there are various uh, words here that are reminiscent of the 23rd Psalm, the shepherd's psalm. You know, verse 13, have mercy upon me, O Lord. Consider my trouble, which I suffer of them that hate me, thou that liftest me up from the gates of death. Verse 14, that I may show forth all thy praise in the gates of the daughter of Zion. I will rejoice in thy salvation. You know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And you come in here. And you have many needs, you have many lacks, you have many wants. That's to be a human. 
particularly if you want to serve God, you'll be challenged in many directions, far beyond the strength that you have at present to do it. But the shepherd is always there to give you the strength that you need to fulfill everything he has in store for you to get done in one day. And indeed, in one lifetime, the Lord is my shepherd. Praise him for that. Now, I know that some of you face different challenges. We all do. Maybe there's something you're dreading on Monday. Or soon after that, something you know is beyond your ability to handle it. And it can make you quail, if, if not, probably not with terror, but soberness and possibly fear and sometimes dread. How are you going to get through it? How are you going to do it? But God is your shepherd in his son, Lord Jesus Christ, presently. So that what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13 will always be true of you as you claim it. The Lord will not suffer ye to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation provide a way of escape that ye may be able to bear it. God himself is pledged by his character of honor and integrity and purity and ultimate truth that nothing will ever be laid on you too hard for you honorably to handle. God himself says, I won't let it come into your life. I'll keep it out. Except what I will enable you to handle. Every burden I let be put on you. I'll be there uplifting the burden and you'll be able to say at the close of a day, his yoke is easy, his burden is light. Now praise him for that. Praise him for what a savior he is. Praise him next week you're not, you don't have one thing to face that your Lord and Savior is not there. Lifting the yoke making it easy, indeed, in many ways, making it pleasant. And then in the future, I had a cousin, well, he was married to one of my cousins, a minister. The Lord took him home recent years. I told him the smartest thing he ever did was to marry my cousin, and I still believe that. He didn't like it. But he used to say he got a kind of a quick working brain cancer. It was fine. He wasn't worried. The mercy of the Lord, it didn't take too long to get him from one world to the next. He said this, that I've often thought myself, and I would say it for myself. The Lord chose the day of my birth. He used my parents. Gave conception. And it was God's choosing the day I was born. So it is fine with me 
absolutely right with me that the Lord would choose the day of my death, the day of my passing from one world to the other. God is going to be in charge of our future. God's going to be in charge of the enemies. Of his church across the world. We've never had, as far as I know, since the first century Anno Domini, we've never had so many martyrdoms of Christian believers as we've had in the last 17 years. We thought the 20th century was tremendous in martyrdom. It was. This 21st century, the more, more. I found this, though, as old Tertullian was right, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. It's a strange thing, strange to our human thinking. The more people that are being martyred, the more are getting saved. Whenever you have a lot of martyrdom, true Christians being mistreated and kept from jobs and sometimes killed, you always have a tremendous spread of the faith. And God is doing that. Now, let me just say uh, sort of uh, in conclusion a word about the beneficence of praise, why it is such a blessing. I started out by saying one of the great joys of the Christian life is to learn to praise the Lord, engage in praising God. There was a man named Paul Bilheimer wrote a book maybe back in the 1950s entitled Destined for the Throne. And I, I could pick some holes in some things he said, but it's a very helpful book. I appreciated the, the general thrust of, of that book, Destined for the Throne. And he had, of course, this is 60 years out of date, but I don't reckon it's that different. He had done some study of statistics in the state of California where people were in various uh, uh, mental institutions. And at least he says, I, I, I didn't see the raw research, and I don't know that I could have evaluated if, if I had seen it. He said that according to the research he had available from that state, that a considerable percentage of people that were committed to mental institutions at that time could get out if they could get to the point of being free enough from self to praise the Lord. Now, he, he was sophisticated enough. He knows that's, that's not the only reason for mental difficulties. You have all kind of things in the brain and the body, and he's too good a scholar to say that's the only issue. But it is an issue with many. Insofar as we remain focused on self, we cannot be psychologically and spiritually healthy. And, 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 and Dr. Bilheimer says, I, I'm not quoting him 
verbatim, but close to it, that praise of God decentralizes the self. When we're thinking of self, you know, a lot of marriages have that trouble. How, how are you making me feel? Why didn't you do more for me? And so forth and so on. I mean, any officer can give in to that kind of thinking. Or am I getting credit enough on my job? Probably not, and so forth. But when we're focusing on self, it, it, it's too much. You're not Atlas. You can't carry the whole world on your shoulders. It's not possible. And he says, focusing too much on self leads to resentfulness, bitterness, hostility towards others. But praise of the Lord beautifully begins decentralizing the self. And it, it's the principle that Jesus taught us. He that will save his life shall lose it. He that will lose his life, the same shall save it. There's something about praising God that gives me a wonderful release from my chief troublemaker. Who is your chief troublemaker? It's you. Who can do you more damage than anybody else? It's not your wife, not your husband. I know they can do a certain amount, but it's, it's not your main problem. It's you. And God has showed us in his word that we have a certain supernatural ability from the Holy Spirit that we can deal with self. We can begin to deal with self by focusing not on the self-life, but on the most beautiful fountain of being, of light in life and love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons, one God, and give ourselves to praising and thanking Him. As a, I'll conclude with this. There's a wonderful passage in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. I'm not going to turn it up. But it's about a very one-sided battle in the time of good King Jehoshaphat. Most of the kings of Israel were not much to brag on, but there were some good ones, Jehoshaphat, Asa, and Josiah. And King Jehoshaphat was uh, ruling... Uh, the kingdom at the time that a huge allied army came up against him of pagans, outnumbered him vastly, surrounded the walls of Jerusalem. And it says, uh, an amazing thing about Jehoshaphat, it says Je Jehoshaphat feared and Call for a fast. He feared. Certain types of fears are legitimate. And he called on the country to fast. And then he did an amazing thing. You read it in Second Chronicles 20. After that time of fasting, he called out the troops. 
Well, that's not amazing. This next thing is amazing. He called the white robe Levitical choirs from the temple in Jerusalem, including mothers and children, to come stand on the front lines in front of the army. Most dangerous place where the battle would be engaged would be the front line of the army. And he said, stand out there and begin praising the Lord. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. They did that. And as they were praising the Lord, the white-robed Levitical choirs lifting their voices in thanksgiving to God, it says in Second Chronicles 20 in the Authorized version, the Lord set ambushments. We don't know how he did it. And a huge crowd was confused and confounded and started destroying one another. We don't know exactly how it worked, but I think it may be this. When you praise God, Satan becomes very distressed. If you focus on self, if you're mad with somebody, if you stay mad, Satan likes it. He will keep you company. But he can't stand it when you begin praising the Lord. It makes him intensely uncomfortable. And indeed, he'll get out in, in Psalm 22, the psalm quoted, one of the psalms quoted by our Lord on the cross. There's a verse that says, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. It's like when Israel, God's people, began praising him, God comes down and Satan has to flee. Satan is routed. Some say he can't sing a note. I don't know. Certainly Satan is most uncomfortable if he hears you praising the Lord. That's something you can do if you're a believer. You may not be doing it enough. Start it. Maybe God sent you here this morning hour or two. Get you starting it in a new way. I want to conclude. They say, beware of a man that says I won't conclude. He won't do it, but I will. About how praise is transforming. The last verse of Psalm 9 show themselves to be but men that that the praise of God by his people has an impact on the world show themselves to be but men there's another world that's something better 1 Corinthians 14 is talking about a worship service and saying that uh, the worship service in a church should be in a known tongue a known language so that people can understand. Verse 24, if all prophesy and there come in one that believeth not, here's an unbeliever, here's a pagan, here's the world. Just showed up at church that day. We're glad to have them always. Or one unlearned. And the worship is going on and the praising is going on and they're in there, they know something's happening. 
He is convinced of all. He is judged of all. And thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. Say, God knows me. I'm a sinner. He sees me. I got to do something about it. I've been brought into his presence. These people worship him. These people know him. Heaven is near. I'm on the way to hell. I've got to have this change. And, and it literally pushes him down to his face. Transforming praise. That the nations may know themselves to be but men. Now that is, that is a possibility. That is indeed a likelihood in every church. Every Christian home. We'll be praising the Lord, that which is past, present, and future. It will be transformative. God calls it to be so. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen.